Amen and amen. Well, good morning, everybody. What an awesome service already. And uh, man, that worship time was amazing. So grateful that each of you are here. And uh, boy, Brother Mike sure liked your new digs up there. That's a, wow. We're going to have to have you do a drum solo one of these days here. Yeah, that's just beautiful. But, uh, and for those of you joining us uh, online, our online family, we love you. And we are so excited that uh, all those virus accounts are coming down. And so we just know you're going to be here in church real soon if you possibly can. And so we love you. Well, thank you, each of you, for coming this morning. We are in a series known as Who is God? Now, for some, that may seem like a, almost a rhetorical question. Well, God is God. But you know, really, if we're going to find out about God, there's only one good source, and that is the Word of God. Now, you can go to the TV and you can listen to some TV personality talk about who God is, or we can go to the blessed Word of God written by the Holy Spirit. Every word of God is inspired. This Bible, beginning to end, is inerrant. It is infallible, and it is profitable for God's people. And so today, we are in our 14th of uh, a series, it'll probably be around 20, on the attributes of God. Today, God is omnipotent. Now, all of God's attributes are amazing, but some especially so, maybe because of their sheer immensity. There are truths about God that have no equal in human experience. Such is our topic today. All of our humanity, despite all of our advances in technology, medicine, manufacturing, are actually quite limited, very human. For example, we can only be at one place at a time. God, any place He wills to be. We can only think of a few things, maybe at a time, maybe in my case about one thing at a time. Unless you're a mom, you can think of anything you want all the time. Moms can do anything. But our power and our ability as humans to affect change, permanent change, extremely confined. Theologians place God's attributes in two distinct categories. Just for you to know, maybe you'll use this information, maybe not, but there are two categories of the attributes of God. One is known as the communicable attributes of God. I'm not talking about a communicable disease. We're talking about the ability to be communicated to humans or relatable, things that we can grasp. Oh, I get that. But then there are the incommunicable attributes of God. They are incomprehensible. We can appreciate these wonderful traits, but we cannot fully grasp them. If we're honest as humans, we well understand and recognize our need for the power of God. We are so human. And when we read about the omnipotence of God, we just say, thank God for His omnipotence. I heard recently about a 747 jetliner halfway across the Atlantic when the captain got on the speaker and said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to inform you, we've lost one of our engines. 
but we can still reach London with the three we have left. Unfortunately, it will make us about an hour late. Well, things went all right for about an hour, and then the captain made another announcement. I'm sorry, but we've lost another engine. No need to worry. We can make it on two engines. However, it will now make us two hours late. Sure enough, short while later, the anxious passengers heard the captain's voice again. I, I really hate to uh, inform you, but I forget to say this. We just lost our third engine. But rest assured, we can make it there with just one engine. However, we will arrive in London three hours late. At this point, one furious passenger shouted, For Pete's sake, if we lose another engine, we're going to be up here all night. (laughs) And I think that's like a lot of us. We are losing power and we're losing altitude. And we're saying, boy, I tell you what, we need some power. And we all desire power in our life. Well, I want to tell you this morning that God never loses power. He never loses altitude. He is omnipotent God. The very name, uh, the very attribute omnipotent comes from two Latin words. Omni means all, potent, power. Perhaps uh, one of the greatest verses that just kind of summarizes who he is is in Psalm 89 and verse number 8. In Psalm 89, as you know, not all the Psalms were authored by King David. Many were, most were, but there are several other authors, including Ethan. Ethan was a godly man of God, and he was, he was a, an associate, a contemporary of Solomon. He was brokenhearted over what was happening in Israel, and yet, in spite of the broken heart that he had, he saw God, strong God, stepping in. Look what it says in verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, Who is a strong Lord? Who is a strong Lord? Strong God, like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Yes, who can compare to the strong God we have? And so this morning, we are going to talk about that strong God. Let's all bow our heads for a prayer, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed. Father, we thank you that you are a strong God today. I'm thankful, Lord, that I don't serve a weak God. I'm thankful you can hear us. I'm thankful that you listen to us. And I'm thankful you can do mighty things. Now, Lord, I pray that we'll wrap our heads around this amazing truth. Holy Spirit, thank you for the beautiful time it's been already. And for what you're going to do in these next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen. If we are going to define omnipotence, maybe you could do it this way. And I think it's a much better definition than simply all-powerful. That's sufficient for sure, but here's a better one. God has all the strength to do all that he wills to do. God has all the strength to do all that he wills to do. Maybe an even easier definition, one that would match a verse in the Bible, and that is that there is nothing too difficult for God. Is anything too hard for God? A million no's could not answer that question strong enough. The doctrine of God's omnipotence is written throughout scripture. Let's just visit a few of them before we get into our outline. In Revelation chapter 19, verse number six, the word omnipotent is even used in the authorized version. The apostle John is given the blessed privilege of attending heaven's victory dinner. 
He gets to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there he hears the roar, the deafening roar of a bunch of people, a multitude cheering louder and louder. It must have been incredible. I read recently that our own local Sacramento Kings fans are among the top five loudest in all of sports. They rank right along with the Seattle Seahawks fans, and they uh, recorded a decibel rating of 125 decibels. They say that's just right, slightly under a jet. So, but you can imagine, if you've been to the Sleep Train Arena, maybe you've heard that, this time in Revelation 19 is going to make that seem like kindergarten work. Look at verse 6, and I heard as if it were the voice of a great multitude. I mean, imagine what that must be like. And as the voice of many waters, the voice of thunders. Boy, I tell you what, I've been in thunder and lightning before. It practically roll you out of bed. Enormous volume for an enormous God. Saying, hallelujah, just another form of the word hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Yes, he does. The voice of many waters. I remember visiting once the majestic Yosemite Falls one year during an especially wet winter. I think it was the spring. And you could see that uh, and feel that icy water coming down 2,000 feet, cascading there over those rocks. And it was absolutely deafening. You couldn't even get too close. And the thunderous uh, sound of the waters was coming from everywhere, like the rocks, and it was just all surrounding you. What John experienced that day when he heard that multitude, when he heard the sound of thunder, when he heard the sound of a mighty water, God is just a symbol of God's great omnipotence, and God's omnipotence is a thousand times greater than any sound we'd ever heard. And then in the book of Job, chapter 26, Job reiterated his faith in a strong God. He proclaimed just how omnipotent God actually speaks. He speaks to us through his word. That's the revealed word of God. He also speaks to us through his creation. In fact, he screams to us through the nature. I was telling my wife this week, we were looking at some beautiful aquarium things. And I would say, man, it's just amazing how God has made all these things, so many amazing things, and it just speaks of God. Look what it says in Job 26 and verse 12. He divided the sea with his power. With one word, God can calm a three-foot swell or a 20-foot swell or whatever. It goes on to say in these verses that a mere whisper of God can make everything calm. Verse 14, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? And that's our challenge today. How can we understand a scope of an attribute that's really incommunicable? Something that we would understand that's ununderstandable. In Psalm 68, King David was reveling in the raw power of God. His power over every enemy. Let me just say that again. Every enemy of God will be defeated. And if I am on God's side, then I will tell you all of my enemies will be defeated. Look at verse 28. It says, thy God hath commended, commanded thy strength. Or as one paraphrase puts it, parade your power 
Oh God, God commanded his power to be seen. And that's the hope and the message that we all have. God just parades his power. You know, despite all things that men can do, and we try to do this and try to do that. Sometimes you go out there on a sunny and wet day and you see that rainbow and you just think, God is amazing. That rainbow just shouts to us of God's power or seeing a life transformed by the grace of God. My friend, that is a parade of miracles. All of these things tell us that God is an omnipotent God. When you see some life that has been destroyed by sin and they come back and are able to serve God, have a marriage, raise a family, or just live a a redeemed life, it's just incredible. And then turn with me, please, to Psalm 115 and that incredible poetic reminder of the omnipotence of God. God starts off in that uh, psalm by talking about the heathen, asking the question. And by the way, the heathen is not a bad word. I know some uh, think that's a critical word. It's not. It's just these are people who are atheists, basically, or at least act like atheists. Heathens. I mean, they just don't care about God, don't wonder about God. It says that the heathens say, where is God? In verse 3, God answers, but our God is in the heavens. You wonder where God is? He's in the heavens, and he has done whatsoever he has pleased. By the way, that's probably one of the best verses on the omnipotence of God. Our God is in the heavens. Being in the heavens, he's in the throne. He rules and he reigns. He's never left his heavenly throne. He rules sovereignly without challenge, never been challenged. And so there are dozens of verses, no, hundreds of verses that we could just go through one after another that give us a backdrop of um, understanding the omnipotence of God. But today we're going to kind of look at one passage, and then I'll give you a little outline. I think that'll be helpful. We're going to go to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and chapters 31, 32, and 33. Now we're not going to do expository of all those (laughs) verses in in three chapters, but I'm going to give you a little overview. The prophet Jeremiah, despite some initial reluctance, accepted God's commission. I'll be your proclaimer. I'll be your prophet. But he was given an unpopular, very not political correct message. Uh, He definitely would not be like Mr. Happy down there in Houston, let me tell you. He was, he's having to get up there and say some unpopular truths. Here's what he had to tell people. His nation, Judah, which is the two southern tribes, Israel, otherwise, was being overrun by the powerful terrorist country of Babylon, which today would be Iran and Iraq. Ironic, isn't it? How things haven't changed much in 2,500 years. And sadly, what brought on this unnecessary um, thing? Well, it was they themselves. The prophet had to tell people, we did this. We brought this upon ourselves. What had they done? They had been flirting with idols as a nation. They had been neglecting church, specifically the Sabbath. They'd been stealing God's tithe. The temple was in disrepair. God's men were being starved out. They were playing loose with spiritual commands. All of these things and more, Jeremiah was commissioned by God. As it says in his chapter one, he had a been given a sharp tongue, 
meaning uh, one who could clearly get to the matter quickly. He was God's mouthpiece. And he stood up there and he said, folks, let me just tell you, like it is, we are in this situation because we deserve it. We're under God's discipline. Well, as you might expect, that didn't go well. He was branded as a legalist by the religious false crowd. The government leaders tried to silence him. They took him off Twitter. They said, you're not on Facebook. He wasn't allowed to be on YouTube. And they put him in prison as an insurrectionist. (laughs) But he stayed faithful. He loved God and he loved people too much to soft soap on the issues. And so in chapter 31, the tone, so that's, I've brought you up to chapter 31 now. And uh, we just summarized the 30 chapters of the book of Jeremiah. (laughs) Chapter 31, God's tone changes. And God sends a message of mercy and a hallelujah of hope. He says this to Jeremiah, omnipotent God has it all under control. And so the scope of these verses, you need to know, is about another day, about the millennium. But there's a local setting, and that really plays into what we're speaking about. And that is that the current events that are about to happen are going to prove to you that there's an omnipotent God who is going to turn things around in the life of Israel. And so in chapter 31 and verse number 10, God said, here's what's going to happen. Despite all of what you've heard, Jerusalem is going to be restored. The temple is going to be rebuilt. I am going to bring back Israel All of these things would have been absolutely thought of as impossible. Iran and Iraq, Babylon, was a powerful nation. Israel was unable to do anything about it. And so now, chapter 31, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations. I'm sure he was happy to be able to say this message, but I'm sure people were probably wondering about him. Why did you switch midstream? Declare it in the isles afar off and say, He that scattered Israel is going to gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. God's going to shepherd his people back to Jerusalem. It's going to be glorious. Let's skip down to verse 12. Therefore, they shall come and sing. Oh, there's going to be singing in the height of Zion. And shall flow together the goodness of the Lord. How is that evidenced? the wheat and the wine, the grape juice, and for oil, and the young of the flock of the herd, and their souls shall be like a watered garden. There's just going to be this spring of joy, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Amazingly, in the midst of all the chaos, and the uncertainty, and the division, God said to Jeremiah, it's going to be incredible. I'm going to restore this land. And then God specifically in the next verses, chapter 32, he says specifically, here's what I'm going to tell you is something strange is going to happen. Now you're going to be in jail and your cousin is going to come to you. He's going to visit you in jail. Jeremiah's like, okay, great. He's going to come and visit you in jail and he's going to try to sell you some land back in Jerusalem. Jeremiah's thinking, uh, excuse me, why would I buy some land 
in occupied, enemy-occupied Jerusalem. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's worthless. Uh, that's, uh, I wouldn't do that. Now, in your cousin's mind, God reminds Jeremiah, in your cousin's mind, his intentions are less than honorable, trust me. But he's going to try to unload a worthless piece of property on his gullible preacher cousin. And guess what? What? He said, I want you to buy it. What? I'm not a gullible preacher. I mean, you want me to buy that worthless piece of land? God said, yep, that's exactly what I want you to do. I'm sure Jeremiah was like, well, okay, if that's what you want me to do. And it happened exactly like that. His cousin showed up, offered to sell him this land, and he was thinking he wouldn't do it, but he did it. He bought the land. Now, Jeremiah, I'm sure he had some questions, but there was one thing about this man of God. He always trusted the character of God. Even though he didn't always understand God, he trusted who he was in his character. So in the story, he finalizes the sale. He sends down to the title company, gets the title deed, weigh the money. They sign the documents. Everything is official. It's notarized. And then God gives Jeremiah this hallelujah chorus, and he breaks out into this praise meeting, and in simple eloquence, gives us one of the most powerful verses on the omnipotence of God. Look at chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God. I love that little part. Ah, it's just like the word O in the Bible. Ah, you know, when you taste something real good. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Say that statement with me, please. There is nothing too hard for God. Say it again. There is nothing too hard for God. Jeremiah knew. He had seen it now firsthand. God is a strong God. He's a strong God. And then he recounts some historical highlights that prove just how strong God is. Look at chapter 32, verse 18. Thou showest thy loving kindness to thousands. He said, I look back over history and I can't be, I'm just amazed at what you've done. You recompense the iniquity of the fathers and to the bosom of their children after them. <laughs> you, you, always, you always get your man, Lord. The great, no, the mighty God, the Lord of every host is his name. What an awesome doxology. I mean, it was just a glorious moment. Everything happened like God said. He saw God's greatness. God is so amazing. And then later, his humanity, Jeremiah's humanity, appears to show up. It appears that he almost seemed to have a little buyer's remorse. He had some doubts. What in the world did I just do? Why did I buy that land in Jerusalem? Oh, my goodness. And so then God, lovingly but very clearly, he pulls no punches. He addresses Jeremiah's doubts, and he does it so in a very dramatic fashion. He has this question and answer time with Jeremiah. And I will tell you, if you've ever tried to argue with God, it doesn't go very well. <laughs> and so God gets in, in a way, he gets in Jeremiah's face. Look at verse 26. Then 
came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is seesawing back and forth like we all do. He's one minute, he's kind of wondering what God's doing. Next minute, he's praising God. Now he's kind of has his doubts. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah saying, Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And then he looks him in the eye and he said, is there anything too hard for me? Tell me, Jeremiah, let's just talk about this. Is there anything too hard for me? He's saying, is there anything? I am Lord of Lords, he says here. I am King of Kings. Pauline and I once had the privilege of walking on the grounds of the famous Windsor Castle, residence of the England's royal family. We were able to see many parts of Windsor Castle, which included a chapel and other things there. But there was one area they would not allow anybody to go to. The only persons that could go into that area were people who were part of the royal family, people who had been part of their blood. Now, we were held back from that area. We could not go there. We were not of the same blood. Well, brothers and sisters, I remind you this morning that because of the second birth, we are blood related to the King of Kings, and we have the ability to have all that God has. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, Jeremiah, come on now. I am Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We're related. You're related by the second birth. Trust me, you can have anything. God can do anything. Our problem is often like Jeremiah's. We make a decision in faith and then undo in doubt something that we made in faith. Now let's look. Four steps in understanding the omnipotence of God. First of all, the definition of um, God's omnipotence. God is unlimited in his power. He has the resources and to do all that he wills to do. God is able. Say that with me. God is able. That perhaps is the most simple definition of all of the omnipotence of God. And that's exactly what Paul said when he was talking, comforting his brothers and sisters in Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able. Say that again. God is able. Do you believe that this morning? I believe it. God is able to do what? To make all grace. Hallelujah for his grace. For his gifts that we don't deserve. God is able to make grace. Not just grace. That would be good enough. But God's abounding grace toward you. Toward each of you. Here is the apostle saying. To, you can see him talking to that church. Church. God is able. I know you're suffering. I know you're having a tough time, but I want you to know omnipotent God is your God and he is able having all sufficiency. There's nothing too hard for God. He's just basically re-saying the same thing that Jeremiah said. Is there anything too hard for God? Why? So that you can abound in every good work. That's why we sing the chorus around here. He will never fail. He is almighty God. Greater than all we seek. Greater than all we ask. 
He has done great things, lifted up. He defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is able. In his name, we overcome, for the Lord our God is able. And that's exactly the definition of an omnipotence. God is able. Number two, the declaration. Not only is he defined as able, but he is declared such. He is an able God. You that were here last week, you may remember that at the end of the service, I declared, it was a lot of fun, (laughs) I declared that this building now was open for the gospel for the decades to come if the Lord tarries is coming. And that was a lot of fun. And I quoted Ephesians 3.20 and verse 21. We're just going to look at verse 20 this morning. Look what it says. Now unto him that is able. There you go. Now unto him that is able. Say it again. God is able. Say it with me. God is able. He is able. And that's really what the omnipotence of God is. Sometime you're going to be in your prayer time and you're going to be having worries and doubts and Just say those words, God is able. God is able. God is able. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to a power that's in us. Oh, I I just don't have that in me. (laughs) Yes, you do. You have it in you. Someone put together, and I edited a bit, an insightful scope of the outline of God's power from this verse. Seven stages of strong God's power. Number one, he is able, for he is the true and living God. Because the verse says, now unto him. God is a him. He's not some uh, nebulous statement. He is a real living God. Number two, he is able, for he is neither inactive nor dead. That he is able to do, the Bible says. He does things. Our God is a God who does things. Now, if you have a little idol on the shelf, he doesn't do anything. He just sits there. Now, you might want to give him a mango or something, but he doesn't do anything. Number three, he is able, for he hears and answers prayer. It says he is able to do above all that we ask. Hey, we've got a God that hears us. Number four, he is able, for he reads our thoughts. Amen. (laughs) Oh, me. I know some of you are thinking. (laughs) He is able, for he reads our thoughts and sometimes does things which we would not dare to even ask. Aren't you glad for the wonderful doctrine of the Holy Spirit who makes intercession for us, which groanings that we cannot even be uttered, we wouldn't even ever utter them. But the Holy Spirit says, uh, God, the Holy Spirit says, God, the Father, hey, Tim needs this. He didn't ask for it, but he needs it. Have you ever said, boy, I didn't even ask for it, and I got it. You didn't ask for it, but the Holy Spirit asked for you. That's why it says he does above all that we ask or even think. Number five, he is able, for he knows it all and can perform it all. It says above all. God knows it all. He's a know-it-all. Number six, because he is able, excuse me, he is able because his expectations are higher than ours. That's what a great thing that I set the standard and the bar so low, but God sets it so much higher, exceedingly, abundantly above 
whatever bar I've set. And then number seven, he is able because his power is unlimited according to the power that works in us. And so here we see these seven stages of strong God's power. Summarized, there's no limits to God simply because there's no limits to what he can do. You may have seen last week the video. Did you see that? The little video from the body camera of a sheriff's deputy in Virginia. Single-handedly, this sheriff's deputy lifted an overturned car off a woman's head as her child was screaming for help. I'm not talking about a, somebody saying it happened or what. This, you could actually see it. You can go home and call it up. Don't do it right now. And uh, see the video. Here he is. He picks up a car by himself. Amazing. Wonderful. And by the way, footnote here. Thank God for our police department. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Praise God for them. I don't think we ought to defund the police. I believe we ought to give them more money. But the point is superhuman, supernatural strength. And as wonderful as that is, what an amazing story. Let me tell you about something far greater. You and I have been crushed by the weight of our sin when strong God, Jesus, captain of the Lord's army, lifted my burden and he lifted yours too. That's my God. That's my God. He is able this morning. He lifted that sin. And so number three this morning, the deception, the definition, the declaration, and the deception. As always, in any of God's attributes, there's always somebody out there who gets it off. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's planned. There are two objections against the doctrine of omnipotence that are often shared, and both of them are mistaken. First is a frivolous objection. You may have even heard this statement, but if you haven't, I'll give it to you. It's a well-known theological supposed conundrum that who can answer? Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, in all actuality, that's nonsense. That'd be like asking if God can make a square into a circle. If a circle becomes a square, it is no longer a circle. It's a square. There's no such thing as a square circle. And folks, that reminds me really of this appropriation fad that's going on today. There's racial appropriation. There's gender appropriation. I was born this but I identify as this. Well, friends, I tell you, you can identify whatever you want. It doesn't change the facts. And you mark my word down, people are going to begin identifying as all kinds of crazy animals. They're already identifying as a kooky bird, I'll tell you for sure. But look what it says in Romans 1.23. The day is coming when they will change the glory of an incorruptible God into an image of corruptible man. In the words of the great British author, atheist turned Christian, powerful apologist, listen to this statement. We may attribute miracles to God, but not nonsense. That's a nonsense question. It's not even a legitimate question. The second objection, some would maybe consider it to be legitimate. I do not. I think it's just simply a mistake. My experience is that these are usually this one is usually given by a bitter person. 
Something hasn't turned out like they like. And maybe even some very sad things. And so they have these bitterness, maybe even towards God. Some years ago, Rabbi Harold Kushner, you may remember the name. He had a bestseller, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. His own son had died at an early age from a rare disease. He went back and forth through all kinds of philosophical meanderings, and he finally came to a conclusion, one that at least satisfied him, but I add, totally false. Here was his conclusion of the book. It's while the book is well-written and while there's lots of interesting things, his conclusion is this, God can't do everything because there are forces beyond God's ability. Now, my friend, that is a, that is a lie that is unbiblical. God is omnipotent. God can do anything. And he's misinformed. He is concluding based on presuppositions. What is his presupposition? That to die at nine is bad. To die at 90 is okay. Well, wait a second. Why is dying at 90 okay, but dying at nine uh, not okay? Why, why is that bad? That's just a human uh, illogical logic. It really isn't anything that's truth. It's just people think th- certain things. You may have heard, if you've been to college, I'm sure you've heard this, in some philosophy class or some uh, psychology class or history class, or pretty much they'll try to talk about it anytime. You could go to to basket weaving, I think they'll try to get it in there, but it's called the Christian trilemma. You've heard of a dilemma? Well, this is known as the Christian trilemma. It was supposedly first put out by the Greek philosopher Epicurus. He rejected the idea of an omnipotent God. Here's the three questions. Listen closely. And if you've heard these, you may have been shaken. There's no reason to be. Number one, if God is unable to prevent evil, then he's not all powerful. Number two, if he's not willing to prevent evil, then he's not all good. If, number three, God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Now, what is you supposed to answer? Some people get all shook up. Some Christian will go to Bible, or not Bible college, they'll go to these colleges and they'll say this and some liberal teacher will shake this Christian young people to his core and they'll say, oh no, this is so logical. Folks, that's just human logic. It's not true logic. It's not God logic. It's not Bible logic. God simply says the answer to that. Maybe uh, I'll just give you a verse. It's a good answer. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9. Um, Just so you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think like you think. I think right. You don't think right. Your brain is off. Neither are your ways my ways. You don't know what you're talking about, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, never be shaken by human logical illogic. It is just, it has nothing to do with the way things really are. Now, we're not talking about a true math equation, two plus two equals four. That's a, that's a legitimate truth. But human logic of philosophy, 
We just, we're, it's so built on presuppositions. Folks, God is almighty and he really doesn't have to answer to anybody. That's what that verse says. The definition, the declaration, the deception, and finally, the determination. Now let's conclude this morning's message with three wonderful and important truths about the omnipotence of God. Number one, no matter who resists to the contrary, God's purposes always stand. Have you ever seen the verses in Psalm that are God's comedy club? Have you ever seen them? Maybe you've gone to a stand-up comedy club, or maybe you've uh, watched some stand-up routine on TV, and you've laughed. Well, this is God's comedy club right here. Let's go to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? Why? Why do heathen people, atheists, why do liberals, why, do they, why are they so crazy? Why are they so full of so much noise? And the people imagine a vain thing. Why do they plot so much against God's people? Verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. <laughs> That's us, folks. And Jesus. God deniers. Messiah defiers. What are they thinking? Verse 3. Here, well, here's what they're saying. Let us bake, break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. We're being so restricted by all these Christians. We're being so hemmed in by all this Christian dogma. God says, oh, really? Verse 4. Now, here we go. He that sitteth in the heavens has a big laugh about that one. He that sitteth in the heavens laughs. Well, that's not very nice of God to laugh at those poor little atheists. But that's exactly what he does. This is a holy laughter. It's not a mean thing at all. He's like, foolish, foolish people. The Lord shall have them in derision. Folks, they are so confused. It's like, have you ever watched those uh, stupid things people do, videos on YouTube or something? I mean, honestly, I just like to laugh at criminals and others. And the Bible doctrine of omnipotence shows that there is none that can stop God. He laughs at people. Sometimes people all get all worried, you know, oh, they're, they're doing this and they're doing this and, and, the, and the liberals are doing this, folks. Look, I don't like it. I can't stand it. But trust me, they will never thwart God's plan. Ever. Ever. Now, they can hinder it. Yes. Paul said that. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. He said, Satan hinders me, but he doesn't stop me. And it's painful, and it's not good, and it's a, it's a bugger for sure. But like the old hymn that says, God's truth just keeps marching on. God's truth just keeps marching on. Folks, when governments come and governments go, you're still going to find Bible-believing, Christ-honoring <clears throat> churches that are serving God. Because we keep marching. Not evil people, not natural catastrophe, not fate, nor luck, nor chance, not human error, nothing, not even the powerful archangel Lucifer, that fallen angel, can ultimately stop God's plan. I like what the words of the great reformer Martin Luther said, in the end, listen to this, even the devil is God's devil because he serves God's purposes. Isn't that amazing? 
Number one, no matter who resists to the contrary, God's purposes always stand. And number two, no matter how long it takes, God always finishes what he starts. Aren't you glad to know that? That we live in a world that God always finishes what he starts? Now, we live in a world where everything, many good intention things run out. Money runs out. Time runs out. Energy runs out. Amen. Well, I mean, we even ran out of toilet paper last year. But I will tell you, God's energy never runs out. Rembrandt, he had a great, he was a great painter. Michelangelo, Hemingway, right? Edison, Da Vinci, all powerful people in their own worlds and their own things. But each one of them left behind unfinished paintings, manuscripts, plans for building that were never built. Only Jesus could cry out at the end of his life. John 19 and verse 30. It is finished. The Greek word to tell us die. It's like when a person makes a beautiful uh, picture and they're done. And they stand back and they say, masterpiece. It is finished. Only Jesus can say finished. Because when he finishes something, it's finished. You and I build a house. It's built. It's beautiful. And then you have to start cleaning it, and it starts deteriorating immediately. God finishes something, it's finished, because he is powerful God. A heartbroken little girl, Christian girl, was pouring out her heart to God at the altar at church. She just didn't know what to say. As she knelt there, wept, speechless, she began to remember what her pastor said. God can do anything. God is able. He can answer even when you don't know what to ask for. And so she just knelt at that altar and began to pray the alphabet. A, B, C. An older saint, a sister came and knelt beside the little girl and put her arm on her and listened to her pray and said, honey, what are you doing? She said, I'm praying to God. She said, well, honey, it sounds like you're just repeating the alphabet to me. She said, I know, I don't really know how to pray, but I know God is so powerful that he can take everything from A to Z and answer my prayers. God is powerful. Folks, God has ways to answer our prayers from A to Z. No matter who resists to the contrary, God's purposes always stand. Number two, no matter how long it takes, God always finishes what he starts. It is finished. You can guarantee it. When God says it's finished, it's finished. And number three, no matter how great the need, God's resources are never depleted. Ever. Folks, you're not going to have to stand in line for gas in heaven. God's resources are never depleted. As they say, God's got you covered, bro. He's got you covered. Not only you, but I want you to know for your children and your children's children. I know sometimes I get worried about our children and children's children. I wonder what the future holds. But here's a verse, and I think you'll rejoice with me. In my favorite chapter, I think, in the whole Bible, Psalm 119, thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness, God's faithfulness is unto all generations. I don't know what the future holds, But I know that there's a God who will be there for my children and my grandchildren. 
Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. And so this morning, the very same faithful God which raised up Christ is waiting to raise up every drinker from his drunkenness, to raise up every thief from their dishonesty, to every marriage issue today, he is able. To every relationship concern today, he is able. Do you have a need? He is strong, God. Do you have a broken heart? He is strong, God. As our worship team comes here this morning, he is our strong God, and he is your God here this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.